And I'll get out the pictures we have of Bobby, the snapshots and the studio pictures, all of them. And I'll show them to Kathleen. Maybe she'll bring her children to see me. Maybe she has more than two by now. I... I don't know whether I could bear to see her happy with her children. I, I'm so lonely for my son. Fred, is it wise for us to go, though? Will it only make matters worse? In just a moment, Hope Winslow will be back. But first, the forecastle, or forecastle, in the ships of today, the upper deck ahead of the foremast, bears little resemblance to its prototype, the forecastle of a Norman warship. The Normans were great conquerors, the only people successfully to invade and subjugate England. In the 12th century, they equipped their warships with fore and after castles, adaptations of the fighting towers in use on land. These platforms, loaded with fighting men and located on either end of their ships, gave the Norman Navy an advantage over less progressive navies of the time. In the sometimes odd way of words, the term forecastle, which we pronounce forecastle, has survived while after castle has gone into virtual oblivion. In this complex world, where word meanings are constantly changing, it's easy to be misunderstood. That's why it's a good idea to know your words. And now, back to our story with Hope Winslow. Two weeks never went more slowly. Two weeks never rolled up so fast. The time moved slowly for Frederick Craig because he was afraid something might happen to smash his plan to bits. The time rolled up fast for Madeline because she was half scared to go back to New York. It would awaken memories, sweet memories, and tragic ones. But finally the day came and once again they were flying above the clouds. She and her husband. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it, Fred? Looking down at the clouds in the Seeing them as a field of pure white snow. And then two weeks, we somehow seem closer to Bobby than you are Halfway to heaven. I feel closer to Bobby at this moment than I have since he left us. And closer to you than I have since you left me. When I came in night before last, you were crying. Well, I've been sorting out Bobby's pictures to show Catherine. I don't know what I'm looking forward to most, Frederick. Seeing the city and our hotel or, or seeing Catherine again. I know so many other people in New York, dear. Why should a, a chambermaid in a big hotel be more important to me than all the others put together? Yeah, it's hard to answer. My friendship with Catherine has stretched across ten years, with five-year gaps in between. And yet, when we were together, we always talked so hard and so fast and so furious with scarcely time to breathe that I didn't even ask her for her home address, and she never asked for mine. You never knew Catherine as I did. <laughs> no, but you did save my marriage during its first dreadful week. <laughs> was it really a dreadful week, darling? It was a divine week. Every moment of it. Even the moment when you got jealous and made me cry. Oh, the sun setting day, the fields of snow turning the fields of gold. And I'm thinking of the golden streets in heaven. And the little boy walking down the street. Shutting me out again, Maddie. If only we'd had some more children. We always planned for a full nursery, but well, I meant to bring this up before, dear. The doctor said we could have other children when Bobby was born, but I think you should see another doctor. I have seen another doctor. I've seen two doctors. They both say I can have children, but oh, 
I guess heaven only wanted me to have Bobby. Perhaps you're too tense. You can't relax enough to have a child. I don't think it's entirely that. It's just that when your mind's completely filled with a dead child, there's no room for a living child. The gold feet is in the clouds already, and soon the stars will be out. I hope they've given Bobby a special store to play with. Don't let's talk about streets of gold. Let's talk about Fifth Avenue and Broadway. Let's plan everything we're going to do while we're on our vacation. Well, will we dance together in the same hotel restaurant? <laughs> You're meeting me much more than halfway, Maddie. You're being such a good sport. Well, I'm trying to be. And if an old boyfriend shows up, will you be furiously jealous? I'll kill him. That's what I'll do. I'll challenge him to a duel. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking where we used to talk long ago, dear. Long, long ago. <laughs> City when it was pitch dark. They took a cab to the hotel. It hadn't changed much in the last five years, the last ten years. Through a miracle, they managed to get their old suite. But the next morning, when Fred was knotting his tie in front of the mirror. Fred, um, I want to ask a favor of you. Huh? I'd like to be here alone when, when Catherine comes in, and she does. I'd like to kind of surprise her. <laughs> You mean you'd like me to go for a brisk walk before breakfast? Yes, Fred, I would. But kiss me before you go. That was a lovely kiss, dear. Took me about ten years. Well, you stay there, honey, until I'm with you again. When you shed ten years, you're my bride again. <laughs> Here's hoping that Catherine shows up. Oh, if only she does. I don't know why I expect miracles, but I do. Such a simple woman, and always able to say the thing that helped. The right thing at the right moment. Oh, I'm glad Fred went for that walk. The maid, man. Can I come in and straighten up? Yes, come right in. Oh, I'll come back later if you say so. Oh, no, I've been waiting. Wait, you're not Catherine Kennedy. No, ma'am. I'm Susan. Susan Clark. Well, isn't Catherine working here anymore? No, ma'am, she isn't. I, I wonder if you know where I can get in touch with her. Uh, that is, if she's still in the city. I don't know rightly if she's still on this earth, ma'am. I heard last night that her life was hanging by a thread. You mean she's ill? Yes, ma'am. Very sick. It was having the last baby so soon after her husband fell from the building he was working on and was killed. Oh, that was shocking all, let alone. <laughs> the baby's alive, but... We all love Catherine here in the hotel. She was like a ray of sunshine, although she had more trouble than most. Her man's so reckless, always taking chances, and half the time he was out of words. Do you know where she is now? I mean, what hospital? Oh, yes, ma'am. She's at St. Peter's. That's quite far downtown at the edge of Greenwich Village. Mm -hmm. At least she was there last night, but we haven't had any word this morning. She's in Ward D, ma'am. Well, I'll go to her right away. Oh, if you happen to be in the room when my husband comes back, please tell him I'll call as soon as I have any news. Oh, I'll make it a point to be in the room when he comes back, ma'am. Um, would you mind giving me your name? It's Craig. Mrs. Frederick Craig. You must be a good friend of Catherine's. Yes, I am. She's a good friend of mine. Well, I, I won't waste any time talking to you now. I'll run along. I'll just slip into my dress. Oh. Maybe you'll zip it up for me, would you, ma'am? Oh, you're just all dumb since you told me about that. I don't want you, ma'am. <sighs> And I'll be watching for you when you come back so I can I can hear what's happened with Catherine. 
In just a moment, Hope Winslow will be back. It would seem pretty tough to carry out the military chain of command if no one wore any insignia of rank. And tough it was, even for General George Washington during the Revolutionary War. But finally, the business of insignia was straightened out somewhat. About 1775, generals were authorized to wear a broad ribbon across their chest. Light blue for the commander-in-chief. Purple for major generals and pink for brigadier generals. Five years later, the system of using silver stars, as in the present day, became an order. Washington received three stars and the rank of lieutenant general. But the officers from Colonel on down wore cockades on their hats, a different color for each rank. Distinctive insignia gave men pride in their military ranks in the old days, just as much as they do today. Back to our story with Hope Winslow. Madeline Craig, not quite a stranger in a strange city, took a cab from the hotel to a hospital in a part of town that was strange to her. She went directly to the desk and asked for Catherine Kennedy in Ward D and was told that the end was very near. She swallowed hard and explained that she was a close friend and the receptionist motioned to a nurse who was standing near. The nurse who told Maddie that her name was Charlotte Lawrence guided her up to the fourth floor and opened a door marked Ward D and took her to a bed that was surrounded by a screen. Maddie peered down into the wasted face of the hotel maid who had saved her marriage ten years before. And... Catherine? You don't remember me, Catherine. But I do... You're the lovely lady for San Francisco. You're Mrs. Craig. That's right. Susan Clark is taking a place for the room. Told me you were here. I, I came right down. Did she tell you about my husband? Yes, dear. I'm so sorry. And about the new baby. He hasn't even been married yet. You were going to have a baby, Mrs. Green. My baby was a little boy. He died cancer when he was just two and a half years old. May heaven rest his soul. I'm dying, Mrs. Green. No, Catherine, you can't die. Heaven knows I don't want to. But still. Taken out of my hand. But you have so much to live for, Catherine, darling. Two children, now the new baby, Sheila. She's no angel. Big girl. And Michael's seven. The wee baby. I worry about him. Where are the children? Baby's in the hospital, nursery. Sheila and Mike are with me across the whole neighbor. This is my I'll give you the address. At the, at the desk downstairs. 
They're good children. They're sent to Providence. They'll be adopted. Not together. That's too much to ask. Even of Heavenly Father. But perhaps they'll find each other. Somehow. Somewhere. Catherine, you're going to get well. You must. I'm so tired. But up there, I'll see my man. she went directly to the slums of the city. And when she returned to the hotel, it was nearly noon. And when she entered the room with its view of the park, she found Frederick pacing the floor with his face white. I've been calling that hospital at St. Peter's over and over again. They said you'd left ages ago, Maddie. Oh, I had done. Susan, the maid, she told me that Catherine was dying. Yes, she was. It's all over now, Fred. Did you have your breakfast? Oh, heck with breakfast. Where have you been, darling? Just sit down. Sit down quietly, dear. Don't look so scared. There's nothing to be scared about. I'll tell you the whole story. I was with Catherine when she died. Yes? Yeah. We made each other a mutual promise. A mutual promise? Mm-hmm. She promised me that when she got to heaven... She'd find our little Bobby among the smaller angels. She said that she'd hold him in her arms and walk him until he was restless. That she'd kiss his little bumps and bruises to make them well. She said I could depend on her. And I felt that... Go on. What did you say? I said that she could depend on me, of course. You see, she told me that her three children would go to the Foundling Society and they'd be adopted into different homes. But I promised her that they wouldn't be separated. 
How could you promise that, dear? How, how could you tell a dying person a lie? Because it wasn't a lie. I could promise it very easily. Sheila has red hair and big gray eyes with black lashes. Her hair is naturally curly and so are lashes. And you know, Michael, he's, he's seven. He's got a turned-up nose and his teeth are parted in the middle and he's just adorable. And the baby's just a, just a widget, all dimples and fuzzy blonde hair. Oh, you'd be so proud of them when we take them home with us, girls. Maddie. And once they're living with us, I, I don't think I'll be really so tense. They do say that when you adopt children, you always have children of your own. Mm. <laughs> oh, darling, don't hold me so tight. Let me go. I've got to find Susan Clark and, and tell her what happened. And then I'll take you to Mrs. Monaghan's apartment to collect our two rows of children. We'll have to pick little Robert up at the hospital in a couple of days. Have you ever heard of a multiple adoption? Well, you've heard of one now. And this story really did happen to a very dear woman who lived in San Francisco and brought a whole family back with her from New York. The nurse who took Maddie up to the ward in which Captain Kennedy lay dying said that her name was Charlotte Lawrence. She was really a surgical nurse, but she sometimes helped out in other capacities. Charlotte Lawrence was known as a very capable and experienced nurse until she made one mistake. And one mistake started a chain of circumstances that could have led to a tragic conclusion. But once a nurse, always a nurse. And you'll hear what happened to Charlotte Lawrence when she learned that solemn truth. Until then, this is Hope Winslow saying goodbye from the Whispering Streets. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sankster. Featured in the cast were Lillian Bayer, Lorene Tuttle, and Vic Perrin. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley. Whispering Streets has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.